Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics and the law and a lot of things in between. I'm your host, Loyal Law School professor Jessica Levinson. We are joined by the show's co-host, Joe Armstrong. Everybody, let's wish Joe a very happy Halloween because it is his favorite holiday. I am really the Grinch who stole Halloween. I'm not a Halloween fan. But Joe, for the optimism, for the happiness, for the light, here you are. Welcome. Jessica. Jessica, how are you? Yes, it is indeed my favorite holiday. I can't explain exactly why. I don't know. I can't really explain it and don't think I should have to. But let's talk about this. We talked about election nightmares at one point, not too terribly long ago. And I thought, hey, Halloween's coming up and there just happens to be an election in a few days. So let's revisit that concept. Some things have changed since we last discussed this. Some things haven't. Uh, It's been keeping both of us up nights and probably other people as well. So here we go. It's Halloween, my favorite holiday. Let's talk about some nightmares. All right. Well, I want to give a shout out to a great Politico article that actually lays out a lot of the nightmares that we're going to talk about. And it's called A Day-by-Day Guide to What Could Happen If This Election Goes Bad. It's by Garrett Graff. Uh, His Twitter handle is at VermontGMG. And for those of you interested in a little bit more detail, of course, go to our old episodes where we talk about a lot of things that are still relevant. And go ahead and pick up that guide because... It really lays out some things that are probable, some things that are possible, but hopefully improbable. And we're going to take a temporal approach to this. We're going to talk about from the moments that the polls closed, and then we're going to go all the way up until Inauguration Day in January when President Trump's first term is officially over, if there is a second term. Now, Joseph... First, we have to talk about the Electoral College. We have, shout out to a special episode we have with Jesse Wegman, New York Times editorial board, just wrote a great book, The Case Against the Electoral College. But why are we talking about that now? Because there's a built-in bias against Democrats. I think conventional wisdom at this point is Joe Biden probably has to win the national popular vote by about four percentage points in order to win the Electoral College. And I know you have some Electoral College stats for us. I do, Jessica, Jessica. So here's the way this plays out. Wyoming, beautiful state to which I have been a couple times. Devil's Tower is in Wyoming. That's that uh, crazy rock formation that was in uh, Steven Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind to keep with the spooky theme here. Wyoming has three electoral votes and 578,759 residents. Now, these statistics are as of 2019, not so long ago. That's less than 200,000 people per electoral vote. California, on the other hand, the most populous state, has 55 electoral votes and 39.51 million residents as of 2019. That's 720,000 per electoral vote. So, you know, maybe it's, is it the tyranny of the majority or the tyranny of the minority? I don't know exactly, but... It just gives people in you know, less populous states more influence when it comes to elections such as this. Absolutely. It's baked into the system with the Electoral College that small states, which tend to be more conservative states, have outsized power for the reason that you just talked about and for the numbers that you just laid out. And there are two big anti-majoritarian institutions in our country. One is the Electoral College. The other is the Senate. And again, I would recommend for our listeners the episode with Jesse Wegman. We had a great time discussing the history of the Electoral College with him. And I think we should move to Tuesday, 
right after the polls close. Yes, scenario number one, right after the polls close. Jessica, lay it on us. So one of the things that we should be aware of is that, listeners, if you are in line at a polling place when the polls are supposed to close, the law is that you are supposed to be able to cast your ballot. So we might see people voting very late on November 3rd, very early on November 4th. If somebody tells you, sorry, you have to go home, that's not the case. Stay put and say, no, I have a right to vote. What should we be looking for? Maybe court-ordered extensions at some polling places. Right. We've seen anecdotal accounts, if you follow people on social media, as I like to say, the socials. We've seen people waiting in long lines already. Many states have provisions for early voting. One of my favorite musicians, Mr. Steve Earle, I don't know if he likes Halloween or not, posted a picture of himself in line. He lives in New York City, last I checked, in the Greenwich Village neighborhood. Six blocks long, but it only took him 35 minutes. So if you are out there in line, stay the course. If you are in line on voting day, whether that's early or late, you have the right to vote. What's next, Jessica? I think we're looking at false claims of victory here. So beware, everybody, of either candidate saying, I won on election night or the next morning. Now, if there's a landslide, then that might not be that far off. But let's be very careful because, as we've been talking about, this is an election unlike any other. We're voting in the middle of a pandemic, and there's a lot more vote-by-mail ballots. Those can take longer to count. And the assumption at this point is, and I've written some about this, that there's going to be this red mirage so that the first votes to be counted are more likely to come in from Republicans, from conservative voters. But then as more votes are counted, it will look like there's a, quote, blue shift. And so be particularly careful that President Trump says on election night or the next morning, we won re-election. We really have to wait until every vote is counted. And there was just kind of a kerfuffle at the Supreme Court very recently where uh, Justice Kavanaugh essentially said some version of, you know, we want to make sure that all the votes can be in and that the decisions can be made by election night. And Justice Kagan wrote back in what I thought was absolutely appropriate response, there are no elections that flip until every vote is counted. So we need to make sure that we're not prizing speed over accuracy. Remember, there's nothing in the Constitution, there's no law that says we really need to have results by election night. That's just something that Americans have been conditioned into expecting. But it really makes no sense that we should want an immediate result as opposed to an accurate result. So again, look to see, look to be very careful about somebody claiming, I won, before all the votes are in, before all the votes are counted, unless it is just an overwhelming landslide. Of course, and remember, people, that depending on the state, some of these votes, these uh, mail-in ballots, these ballots that have been dropped off, they cannot legally be counted. Those ballots can't even be opened until election days. It's very state by state. So there are millions of ballots just hanging around, sitting in bags, and hopefully not dumped into a creek. So uh, those are numbers that play into this red mirage and blue shift. We're really talking about counting the votes. And as you said, this is going to take time, and it's going to take more time this cycle. I have truly no idea why we are prizing speed over accuracy. And so, no, President Trump cannot say, oh, it's midnight, we've got to stop counting ballots. I mean, you would just leave so many very likely valid 
ballots on the floor waiting to be counted for absolutely no reason other than that the time has changed. So no, he can't legally do that. And now I think it's probably time to fast forward to it's a few hours after the polls close. What are some things that we should be thinking of? At this point, we really have to look at what the narrative is from both candidates. We have to look at what they're saying. But if President Trump is saying there's fraud in the election, there's corruption in the election, the election has been rigged, I think we need to be absolutely on alert to the idea that the Justice Department might announce an investigation. Now, this investigation could be announced by Attorney General Barr, And it would give credence to President Trump's allegations without any sort of foundation. But the moment that you say the Department of Justice is investigating, the more it feels that these allegations, even if they completely lack all basis, might be legitimate. So that's something else I'd be looking for. Right. And we all know that Attorney General William Barr has at times acted as if he is Trump's personal lawyer. There's been a bit of what some people would call wagging the dog in terms of creating problems and saying, hey, look, there's a there's a problem. And now the other question I have is, like other tools of obfuscation, can Trump or Barr or other people sow enough confusion into the system to make a difference on Election Day? Does it move fast enough to do that? Uh, Maybe. I hate to give you that. I know that's cold comfort. Listeners, if you need a, if you need a quick virtual hug, know it's coming at you from uh, Joe and myself. The answer is maybe. I'm very worried about confusion, chaos, disinformation. I'm worried that people will expect results on election night. I'm worried that people might give credence to false claims of corruption or rigged elections. And I'm worried that the Department of Justice intervening might give the veneer of credibility to those allegations. And another thing I'm worried about is cyber attacks. But the cyber attacks, I think, are more likely to come in the form of disinformation. So people claiming I hacked voting machines when they didn't actually or news websites that pop up, but they're not actually news websites, and they claim that President Trump won when he really didn't or when the votes haven't been counted yet. At this point, I don't think we should be worried about actually hacking the voting machines. Again, we have a special episode on disinformation, but disinformation we know is about sowing chaos. It's about undermining people's faith in the election. And Trump could use this as part of his narrative. Barr could use this as part of his, if he announces one, investigation. And what we're going to be looking to, of course, is if state lawmakers say, gosh, there's just so much confusion and it looks like there might have been some fraud. And can we even trust the integrity of these results? And then we fast forward into some certification problems. And we'll talk about that in a minute, Joe. Yeah, now we hear hacking becoming a problem every year, or people, at least a suspicion of hacking becoming an issue every major election. And I myself, I can say the last time I went to vote, there was a giant touchscreen. It wasn't a little thing where you stick the little marker in the hole and it marks the ballot and then you give the paper ballot to someone. This was a situation where it was a giant, like a giant iPad 
essentially. And look, I know enough about computers to know. I don't consider myself to be a paranoid person, but I do know enough about computers to know that they are, they can be hacked. So, I mean, I can see why people would have those sorts of suspicions about something like that. Hopefully, again, it turns out to be a situation where we don't know if that train exists until it actually crashes into the station or passes on into the night like a ghost train would on Halloween. So, now, there's another thing, you know, we don't want to lean on this too much, but there's this, you know, Trump's been making a lot of noise about having ad hoc election monitors of some kind, armed groups mobilizing, right-wing militia types. Is there anything to speak to about that? I think that there is absolutely a fear. And look, just President Trump talking about it is uh, creates a problem. So even if there are not, quote-unquote, election monitors who are armed, even if there aren't people who try and observe polling places that look intimidating. Just the fact of talking to people about that possibility can already try to at least depress voter turnout. So like so many things that President Trump says, frankly, even if it doesn't come to fruition, just the statement has a deleterious effect. And so let's hope that we're not there. Let's hope we're not thinking about that, that this is in the possible but not probable category. And this brings us, and I appreciate you continuing to bring up Halloween and the joy that it brings you. And this brings us to even further from Halloween, uh, a couple of days or maybe even a week after uh, election day. And at this point, we should probably have counted all the in-person ballots and we're moving on to counting vote-by-mail ballots. We're moving on to counting these so-called provisional or conditional ballots. That really means that maybe you're voting in a polling place that you thought you were supposed to vote there, but in fact you should have gone to a different polling place, that there's some sort of problem and you have to vote conditionally. And those votes take a little bit longer to check. So what are other things that we want to look at during this time period? Election officials will be looking at things like if a witness had to watch you sign your vote-by-mail ballot, is the witness signature requirement fulfilled? Does your signature on the ballot match your signature in the state database? If you had to, like in Pennsylvania, put your ballot in a special secrecy envelope, did you? If you didn't, these are so-called naked envelopes. And believe it or not, there's a fear that there could be tens of thousands, if not more, naked ballots that are actually thrown out because they're not in this secrecy ballot. And listeners, you've heard me say versions of this. I know it can be more fun to talk about what was the, you know, the president's answer when it came to this moment in the debate or what did Vice President Biden say at this rally? Sometimes elections come down to things like naked ballots. So there we are with some more fears, Joe. Now, it is very important that we do what we've done all along, ever since we started talking about the election when we launched this podcast way back in June when it wasn't Halloween time. But we need to remind people that we likely won't know the results of this year's election on election night, which is something that people have grown very accustomed to my entire life. We always knew at bedtime you know, Bush v. Gore, I think, was the notable exception in that case. And we also remember hanging chads, which ties into uh, ties into your talk about things that happen while they're counting these votes. So what about late ballots? What happens there if, uh, if they're arriving after the appointed time? 
there has been so much active litigation with respect to when the ballots need to arrive by. So at this point, I don't want to say definitively what's happened in the Supreme Court, but there have been some big cases uh, from Pennsylvania, from Wisconsin, from North Carolina. Why don't I want to say what happened in part because it seems to change hour by hour. But the punchline is that there's been a lot of arguments about whether or not you have to accept ballots that come in after election day, ballots that come in after election day, but are postmarked on election day, on or before, uh, ballots that come in after election day, and they're not postmarked, but they come in within, let's say, 72 hours. Really, as I said, active litigation, particularly from, again, no coincidence, states that we really care about in the Electoral College, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, North Carolina, and I would say look to see if there is post-election litigation about counting those ballots. And um, this is going to be, I think, a big area for people who specialize in elections to watch. Right. And Trump himself, like how long have we seen this narrative? He's been actively working to undermine the United States Postal Service for half a year or more. This is a story that started geez, early in the summer, late in the spring. So he's been on to this story for a long time, and he knows exactly what he's doing while he's doing it. At least that's my position on the issue. Now, let's move on to counting the votes themselves, right? There are some counting problems in every election. This year, we had a pandemic. COVID-19 has ramped up these sorts of problems to, oh man, I was going to say biblical proportions, but it probably goes far beyond that. So according to a Vox article that I just read, more than 80 million people have already voted in this year's election. And to give that a little bit of context, four years ago in the 2016 election, just under 130 million people voted, all told. So when everything was said and done and they swept up all the confetti and the balloons were popped and thrown into the dumpster, 128,825,223 voted in the 2016 election. Just over 65 million for Clinton and just over 63 million for Trump. So 80 million people already voting before Election Day is a huge number. So take us through these counting problems. What are they and how may they manifest? Can I just throw cold water on everybody's enthusiasm that there have been almost 80 million people or more than 80 million people who have already voted? So people are saying 80 million people who have already voted early. That shows so much enthusiasm. And I would say, yes, I do think it shows a lot of enthusiasm, but it also shows that we're voting in a pandemic and there's a lot more people who aren't going to go to the polls. So it is a little bit like a sliding scale. Now, I do think, again, there's a lot of early enthusiasm, but I also think these numbers are inflated because a lot more people are using drop boxes or a lot more people are using the USPS early or going to an early voting center because they want to avoid the rush on election day. Now, because President Trump, I think, has done quite a good job of this you know, concerted effort of you can't trust the mail, we are, again, expecting to see more Republicans show up in person on election day. Those tend to be the ballots that are counted first, at least in some states. And that, again, is another reason for this red mirage. So we are seeing these huge numbers. Again, just I would offer a little bit of caution that just like, let me try and make it related to Halloween, just like a funhouse mirror in a maze. Am I at all close, Joe? We should be careful about what we're looking at. 
Yes, perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with voter enthusiasm being, you know, for I'll take that for 20, Clark, and let's hope that is the case. Regardless of its enthusiasm or not, that many people voting early may skew things because, as we said before, some of those ballots can't start to be counted until Election Day, meaning that even though 80 million people have voted, perhaps that will mean fewer people show up on Election Day proper, but that just skews the numbers and makes it even more complicated to get all these votes counted. And now let's talk. So there's going to be so many votes to count. There absolutely will be mistakes. There will be problems. Election administration in our country is not something that we invest in anywhere near the levels that we should. But will there be legitimate voter fraud? I think the answer to that, if the pass is prologue, is no. The Brennan Center did a really exhaustive study, and they found that there is true voter fraud in point. 0.025% of the time. Now, again, there's so much to worry about this election. I'm much more worried about false claims of voter fraud than I am about actual voter fraud. And I'm also worried about the people who are actually counting the votes being intimidated. Um, Joe, I think you and I are both old enough to remember the so-called Brooks Brothers riot of 2000, when this is part of the Bush v. Gore um, election, and there were Republicans, very well-dressed, preppy Republicans, who were sent in to Florida to essentially watch over and chant um, and kind of scare the people who were counting the ballots. And I remember one of the chants, I believe, was voter fraud. Now, that wasn't even an issue in the case. The issue was really just how many ballots should we count and how should we count them. But it does show, I think that was like the kernels, that was the beginning of the Republican came, claims of voter fraud. We're very much in the shadow of Bush v. Gore for a number of election decisions. Um, and that brings us a little bit to the Supreme Court. Mr. Armstrong? Oh boy, the Supreme Court, my favorite. We've got a new, uh, we've got a new majority on the Supreme Court. There's a new sheriff in town. So tell me how this plays into this. Well, Judge Barrett has, as expected, become Justice Barrett. The court now again has all nine members, and this means that there is a conservative six to three majority on the court. Now, this could be extremely naive, but I really do not think that we can bet on the idea that the conservative justices will vote in favor of President Trump if there is election litigation that reaches the Supreme Court. And, you know, vice versa, I don't think we can bank on the fact that the liberal justices would vote in favor of Vice President Biden. Now, yes, everybody, I am aware that's what happened in Bush v. Gore in 2000, where there was a ideological split on the Supreme Court. But I, Joe, you've heard me say this before. I think Justice Barrett cares deeply about a lot of issues, religious freedom, reproductive rights, or a lack of reproductive rights. I don't know that she cares that much about the reelection of President Trump. And if, if her first big action on the Supreme Court is to look like she's engaging in a quid pro quo, that President Trump says, here's your job, and she says, thank you, President Trump, and here's your job, by voting in a way that would allow him to win the election, then, you know, that is just another stain on her independence, on her credibility for what could be 
40 years on the bench. I just, I don't know that she's going to take that chance. I think it's such a bigger win for her to say, look, I'm a real judge. I care about the rule of law. I apply the facts to the law. And this is how I came out. So I don't know that we should look for this typical six to three split. And of course, we have Chief Justice John Roberts, who doesn't want to be the Chief Justice who presides over the Supreme Court that crumbles because everybody just thinks that they're political actors. So, you know, again, it's such wild, it's so wildly hypothetical because, of course, we don't know if a case reaches the Supreme Court. We don't know the facts of the case. We don't know the law that's at issue. But those are my general feelings about how Justice Barrett might or might not change a court's decision. Now, a six to three conservative majority for some people, Jessica, is a nightmare unto itself. So let's just set that aside and move on. Now, let's get into the more fanciful things here, or let's hope that they're more fanciful. We have a situation where President Trump or former Vice President Joe Biden refuses to accept the result, the ballots having been counted. What happens then? Well, it depends on, I know people hate it when lawyers say it depends, but it depends on what basis they refuse to accept the results. Likely it's because they think there's a problem where voting either stopped too soon or uh, there were problems with voting in a state that obviously matters a lot. Uh, We hope it doesn't come to this. But again, what happens in that case? Probably what happens is litigation, um, which brings us fast forwarding a little bit to, let's say about a month after the polls close. So we're in the beginning of December. Um, We might still be talking about the election. I know everybody, hold on to your swaddles. It could happen. What date should we be looking at? December 8th is the so-called safe harbor date. So That's the date on which states should resolve any voting issues for their electors to be sent and accepted to Congress. The slate of electors is actually sent to the Electoral College on December 14th. So we have a couple of dates about a month after the election, again, that really matter. December 8th, the safe harbor date. Um, states are supposed to certify their results, depending on the state law, in late November, early December. Usually certification would happen by a governor, lieutenant governor, secretary of state. And certification, again, then determines the slate of electors, whether it be the electors for Biden or the electors for Trump, that are sent to the Electoral College on December 14th. Now, We've heard some discussions, and we'll talk about this more in a minute, about what if two slates of electors are sent to the Electoral College? At that point, it's for Congress to determine which slate of electors they're going to accept. So um, good luck (laughs) to Congress if that happens. Uh, And then let's talk about those electors a little bit. What happens if they become faithless? Uh, What happens if a state tries to replace them? Joe, do you want to pick up from here? Oh, I don't know. We've discussed this a bit already on our podcast in prior episodes. Uh, What, if anything, I mean, what has changed since we last gnashed our teeth about this in terms of these faithless electors, rogue electors, that sort of thing? How does this factor into the witch's brew here? 
Oh, gosh, I was so hoping you were going to say Witch's Brew, and there it was on my bingo card, now checked off. So the question in the first instance, the faithless electors, the electors that go rogue, you know, again, if the past is prologue, electors have never gone rogue in a presidential election in numbers that would change the outcome. And that's because electors are typically very loyal to the party. They're picked because they're not going to go rogue. They're not going to be faithless. And I think there's only one time in the history of all of the presidential elections in our country that an elector voted for the opposing candidate, the opposing presidential candidate. Now, another related issue with respect to the electors is what if state lawmakers try and replace the slate of electors? And I think the more likely scenario um, in this otherwise unlikely scenario is Republican lawmakers trying to replace Democratic electors, meaning Republican lawmakers saying, no, not so fast slate of electors that would vote for Biden. We're actually going to send the slate of electors that would vote for Trump. Now, why would they potentially do that um, if President Trump, again, keeps saying there's fraud? And if Attorney General Barr keeps saying, yes, there's terrible fraud, and that's why we have to investigate it, um, then you could potentially see, again, another slate of electors being sent to the Electoral College. Uh, and again, it's Congress at that point who would determine which slate to certify. Um, and that brings us to Congress. And that brings us to the question of, what if there's such a massive breakdown with these electors? There's such a massive breakdown counting, certifying results that nobody reaches 270? Well, under the 12th Amendment, we would have a contested election. And that hasn't happened since, I believe, 1825. So then the House of Representatives would vote to pick the president. People might think, people who support Biden might think this is great news because Democrats control the House. But in fact, every state delegation only gets one vote. This would favor Republicans. And again, we're in the land of the possible, but not the probable here. Right now, Jessica, somewhere back there, you said the word suppose or perhaps the phrase supposed to, you know, because nothing else unprecedented has happened this year, which brings me to perhaps the most fanciful thing of all. But I love talking about this. There was a, a recent article in Politico, it was an opinion piece by retired Brigadier General Peter B. Zwack. And it has to do with, um, say, Trump does lose, but he refuses to leave office. Let's say Trump skips town. Now, here we're getting into a situation where it's a different concept or it's a different paradigm, whether it's a big victory for Biden or it's not a landslide for Biden if it's a close election. So General Zwack says, and I'm just going to quote him directly here from the Politico piece, and I quote, a chilling alternative, however fanciful, could arise if Trump flees abroad after losing a close, viciously contested election. Hunkered down in a foreign country willing to provide sanctuary, he could conceivably style himself as a president in exile and incite his diehard American followers to resist the election results. A degree of domestic upheaval and a dangerous division would linger for an extended period until the new administration is able to foster calm and unity. So... Oh, my. I don't even know where to begin with all these things, Jessica. This is a fitting episode for Halloween. These are a lot of nightmare scenarios, and I myself may not sleep until this is resolved, which may be the end of me. So everybody, Jessica, vote, stay engaged. 
Joe, happy Halloween. Thank you for going through these nightmares with me. And we hope that much of this does not come to fruition. I think I speak for both of us when I say we hope if there's an episode where we talk about things that largely become an academic exercise, it's this episode. I do not want to see a real-time constitutional test of many of these issues. And we also want to mention to our listeners that we're going to have some special election episodes throughout the day updating people what's going on in the morning the afternoon the night we might hop on the line very very early on november 4th listeners we really are so grateful that you've been with us for the lead up to the election now during the election and we want to try and do something fun and or not nightmarish for you on election day and right after so Joe, with that, enjoy your favorite holiday. You earned it. And listeners, we will talk to you soon. Stay spooky, everybody.